Well, good morning. It's good to see you on the Welcome to First Baptist. And love for you to look in the worship guide real quick. There are a couple announcements. Next Sunday evening, there's an event for you ladies. So WMU, you're invited to be a part of that. There's information about it. Please take note of that. And then um, Holy Week services, we're going to say a little bit more about that at the end of the service and let you hear about that a little bit. And then there's a couple ministry opportunities for you with the health clinic and then also with the water filters. And so we hope that you will um, take note of those and, and be a part of each one of those that you can be. We're glad that you're here. Um, I, never, I never like to make these announcements on Sunday because I know sometimes people have not heard. But um, I got a call from Danielle today. Um, Lawrence Fields um, stepped into glory this morning. And um, I'm going to miss him. But I think it's a reminder for us that uh, we just never know who we'll see this week that we won't see next time. And as the body of Christ comes together, let's take advantage of those moments that we get to be together and to celebrate those and celebrate the lives of those that we, um, that we love and that we miss. I asked Danielle, I said, do you think I should announce it this morning? She said, well, you know, Daddy, I always like to be the center of attention, so go ahead and announce it. So, but he's in glory. Um, so just want to let you know that. Be in prayer for the family, please. Why don't we, I, I hate to start a service that way, but let's stand up and let's greet one another. Make sure you make everybody feel welcome today. Hello. How are you? Good. It is. I miss that smile. Especially when we do Ebenezer. <laughs> And as you have seen already, we, we're in for a treat. Our children's choir is going to open with us. And I think there'll be a part where they'll ask us to sing along with them. But let's turn it over to them.
please turn our attention to the screen for any unknown When people say keep Portland weird, you can think, oh, people there want nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the gospel, but there are so few evangelicals in the city that uh, that curiosity is like, you're this exotic creature. Most people have never met a pastor before. And so you're definitely the minority if you are a Christian. Gresham Bible Church was the first church I planted. We developed lots of deep, meaningful friendships with people in that community, and our kids did as well. But three years ago, the Lord made it clear to us that there were other communities in Portland that needed a new healthy church. This particular area of Northeast Portland is what you might call a, a church desert. And we were excited to follow the, the call of God, but worried about how our kids would take the news. Yeah, I was not thrilled that we were moving. Like one of the big things that we had been praying for when we moved here was that I could find some friends in this neighborhood and I found a lot, so that's really nice. We put ourselves out there in all kinds of ways with neighbors and with people who heard about this new church getting started and it is all hands on deck for the Brown family in this church plant. It's been a while since I went to church and just sat and listened instead of doing stuff during it, but it's nice to be able to help. We've got to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ grow. We've seen leaders raised up and missionaries sent out from our church because the need for gospel access in this city is really great. We started this church believing the Lord would provide and they've got to see, wow, God gave us a building and God brought people and, sorry, it's gonna make me cry. They get a front row seat, you know, to see the Lord provide and it's been really awesome really awesome. Call to worship today is from Revelation 19th chapter verses 6 and 7. Would you please join me? Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Our reading today is from the second book of Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then 
Go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all the vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another. And he said to her, this is, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and said, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. This is the word of the Lord.
this way, baby. Right around there. pray together. Would you join me? Our Father, we do come before you, and we recognize that you are in heaven, seated on the throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we come before you, even as the choir saying, Almighty God, and yet you allow us to call you Abba. We praise you. Thank you for all the children who shared their gifts with us today and for those leaders who helped them and the parents who got them here. Lord, it's good to see children worshiping you. We praise you, Father, for the songs that we've heard, the scripture. We thank you even for the church planners in Portland that we read about. And God, we just pray that, um, that you would bless the Annie Armstrong offering across this nation that Places like Portland could, could hear the gospel and the church could spread. Lord, we just stop and lift up the Fields family to you. We just pray, Father, for your comfort and the hope of the resurrection in their life. I pray for Dennis as he deals with a blood clot. I just ask God that you would release that in a safe way and it would go away and that he would be fine. That you would bless him and heal him. There are others, Lord, we know. We continually lift Rita to you and ask God for your healing. We lift others in our church who are struggling. We know, God, that you're a God who can do all things. And so we come before you trusting that you always do what is good. And we just ask for your blessings, Lord. Thank you for your word as we come to it. We ask that you would speak to us very clearly and teach us how to ask you. We come to you now and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. We'll be there a while. Um, James chapter 1, as we look at verses 5 through 8 this morning. Last week, James told us, commanded us in verse 2, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And, as the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And now he tells us how to do that. And so if you're able to, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. So last week we see the command to count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. But the question that immediately comes to my mind, and I'm sure to your mind, is, is how do we do that when we're in the midst of the trial? It's one thing to plan on counting it joy before the trial or to look back on the trial and see how we should have counted it joy, but how do we do it in the midst of the trial? Maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that tends to see the value of the trial after I've been through it, not while I'm in it. I think James helps us. I know he does. He gives us a solution to how we can learn to consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. And what we find here, the very first thing, just like we saw last week, he opened it with a command, count it all joy. He now gives us a command to pray. Very first point, a command to pray. Second command in this letter. There are 50-something commands in this little short book. And he says it to us in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. That word ask is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's in the imperative mood. It's telling us that we are to do this. And in verses 2 through 4, commanded to have joy in the trial because of what God does through the trial. It's not always that we're happy about the trial itself, but sometimes it's simply we're, we're thankful for what he's doing in the trial. It's, it's the Puritan. It says he can learn in the discipline of the Lord to kiss the hand that smites you. You can learn to see what he's doing in your life and, and thank God for it. In verses 5 through 8, we find the command, the second command, to ask God for the wisdom to learn from the trials. To ask God for wisdom to learn from the trials. So here's what I think he's telling us here. Ask God for wisdom to see the trial as he sees it before you're in the trial. Do it now. If you're not in the trial, ask him now to give you wisdom when the trials come. Ask him for wisdom while you're in the midst of the trial. Maybe you found yourself in a very long trial of life and, and you're wondering what to do. Maybe it's time to stop. And, and, and instead of just asking God to get you out of the trial, ask God to show you what he's teaching you in the trial. And then when you've come back through the trial, Come back and ask for wisdom to see how you went through it and see what you could have done differently and, and, and learn from it. Ask without ceasing, Paul tells us. Ask. Let him ask God. I told you in the introduction that James is influenced by Jesus' teaching. It would make sense. It's an early book of the Bible. It's very early. It's the first book probably of the New Testament that is written and James is the half-brother of Jesus, knew the teachings of Jesus. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 through 8. 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, and it will be given. Ask, if you are lacking wisdom, ask of God. It's, it's an influence that James has from Jesus. Jesus, in this passage, goes on to compare earthly fathers with the heavenly father. And, and, and he says the earthly fathers will do what they can to get their children what they need. To do everything within their means to get it for them. And Jesus says then, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We come to the Father knowing that. We, we come asking for wisdom. Specifically, we're asking for wisdom in the midst of the trial. We're not just asking for wisdom, even though that's a good thing. All the way through Proverbs, we're told to pursue wisdom. But we're asking specifically in this context, how do we see the trial from God's perspective? What is wisdom? Fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, the scriptures say. We know about the fear of the Lord all the way through and how it leads to wisdom. But let me just give you a short definition. Wisdom in, in James, wisdom is the ability, the spirit-given ability to see trials from a divine perspective. Wisdom, I'll go a little broader. Wisdom is, in, in James, the, the, the spirit-given ability to see life from a divine perspective. Not just the trials, but, but life itself, the good and the bad, to see it from God's perspective. What we see in James is asking God to let us see life from his lens. Let us see the trials from, from, from chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Look at it again, what he says. It's amazing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That you may be mature and whole, lacking in nothing. This, notice the context, the connection. You'll see this a lot in James. He, he ends verse 4, lacking in nothing. And then he comes to verse 5, but even if you lack wisdom, you see the connection? He's tying it together. You can be lacking in nothing, and, and if you're lacking in wisdom, that's one of the things that you need to have that's included in verse 4, lacking in nothing. Wisdom will be a part of that. So ask God, live a life lacking in nothing. To do so is to ask God for wisdom. We have the command to pray. But what we see in this passage and, and all the way through the scriptures is that when we come to a father, we have a willing father. A willing father. We're not coming to one that, 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 that we don't know for sure if he will listen to us or not or give to us or not. Look at what he says. Who, who gives generously? Who gives? We have a a willing father. James tells us that when we come to God, there, there are several things we need to remember. And let me just walk you through them. First, it is God's nature to give. 
It is God's nature to give. We could quote scripture after scripture. You, you know the verse, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only, his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, obviously, when you're delighting, your desires change, but it's the truth of Scripture. He will give you the desires of your heart. He, the Bible says, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also freely give us all things? Now, I could go on and on. It's a study for you to do. Just go back and look at the number of times the Bible speaks of God giving. God gives. It's his nature to give. He gives generously to those who ask. You don't have to barter with God. Let me say to you, you should not barter with God. You don't have to haggle. You, you don't even have to beg. You come to the Father like you come to your own Father. Hopefully, your earthly Father was this way. And you ask because you need it. Come to him asking. Here he's saying, when you're in the trial, and we all go through the trial. When you're in the trial, ask God for wisdom to see the trial from chapter 1, verses 2 through 4's perspective. That God's doing something in the trial. To bring you to complete lacking in nothing. Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Second, not only is it his nature to give, his giving is with no heavenly limitation. His giving is with no heavenly limitation. He, our scripture says, he gives generously. He gives, that's his nature to give. He gives generously, generously without reproach. God has no limitations. God can do anything and everything because he is all powerful. Now our children ask us questions we don't know the answers to. Our children sometimes ask us for things we cannot produce. But we will never come to a father who doesn't already know the answer. And we will never come to an earthly, heavenly father who cannot provide our needs. It doesn't mean he always does what we ask him to do. That's not what we're saying. I'm saying to you, when you come to him, and in the parameters of scripture, when you come to him, he gives generously. He has all power and all knowledge, all wisdom. He gives generously. There are no heavenly limitations. Go back to Ephesians and read what he says. We're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, church. It's in Christ. There are no, no heavenly limitations. Anyone can come to him with confidence. But not only that, his giving is with no earthly restriction. No heavenly Limitation, no earthly restriction. He gives to all. He gives to all. God doesn't play favorites. 
If you were to ask any of my four daughters, hey, who's your dad's favorite? Every one of them would say, I am. Because I look at every single one of my girls and I say, you know, I'm, you know you're my favorite. Early on, I said, Dad, you say that to everybody. Yeah, but I mean it with you. You're my favorite. <laughs> God looks at you. You're my favorite. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't play favorites with his children. Now, obviously, he blesses those who are obedient. He blesses those who, who walk in faith. Yes, it's true. But, but if you come to him, he will, he will give you, the Bible says, wisdom. Ask of God. Ask for wisdom, James says, and he will give it. It's specifically focused here on asking for wisdom. I, I'm not talking about naming and claiming. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel from a worldly view. But there is a prosperity that comes with being a child of God from a spiritual point that is of more value than anything earthly. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And a father who lives inside of you through his spirit who will give you the wisdom you're seeking. We're asking about living life with spiritual eyes to see trials from God's perspective so that we can grow to spiritual maturity. We must have wisdom for that to take place. And God promises us, if you ask for that wisdom, he will give it. Fourth, his, his giving is with mercy and grace. He gives generously to all without reproach. Have you ever had to ask somebody for something and you knew you're going to pay a price for asking. Maybe you had to go to someone and and you were just in that situation where you had to do it and, and you had to go to them and ask them for money. And they said, "Yeah, I'll give you the money." But what you did with the money I gave you last time? That's reproach. Or maybe there's someone that 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 you need to ask some wisdom and and, and you, you need their advice, and, and, and you really, you just would give anything not to ask them for advice, but you know they've got what you need. And, and you come to them and say, yeah, I'll tell you my opinion, but you didn't listen to me last time. Parents, don't do that to your kids. Don't answer with reproach. Be like the Heavenly Father. God gives generously without reproach. He is gracious and he's merciful with his children. And when we ask him for wisdom, listen, he's delighted. He's delighted. Can you imagine your child just sliding up as a young child or an older child sitting in your lap and say, hey, can you help me see this from your perspective? Can you show me why you see this this way? It delights you when they want to know really what you're thinking. It's, this is about relationship. It's, it's about going all in and trusting him in our prayer life. Trusting him as a gracious God. Not, not like Zeus. Not like some of the gods of Babylon where you had to wonder whether he was going to be cranky that day or not. He's generous and he gives without reproach. 
R. Ken Hughes said it this way. He says, the wisdom for which we're asking isn't just knowledge. I think we've, we've, we've reduced the Christian life down to knowledge. And you need knowledge. But knowledge is not all you need. Wisdom is the ability to use the knowledge in a godly way. So there are a lot of people with a lot of biblical knowledge. They can win Bible trivia all the time, but, but they don't win in the day-to-day -day life because they're not practicing it with wisdom. Our Ken Hughes, I love what he said. He said, in our culture, we may know how to travel faster than the speed of light. Excuse me, speed of sound. We may know how to travel faster than the speed of sound, but we need wisdom because we're often going in the wrong direction. We can go faster than sound, but sometimes we're going the wrong way. We need wisdom. If we, if we want to lack nothing in the spiritual realm, we, we won't get there without testing. And if we, if we go through the testing to get to the place of lacking nothing, we need wisdom to see it from God's perspective. We're, we're commanded to pray. And we're assured that we have a willing Father so we can come to him. But then he comes to us with a third thing, and he says, there's a warning about doubt. A warning about doubt. Look at it with me. He says, but let him ask in faith, verse 6, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It really comes down in this scripture when he talks about it negatively, don't doubt. But positively, it's trust. Trust. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Faith is the essence of the Christian life. Just a few chapters back. In Hebrews chapter 11, what does he say? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. You have to believe in him. You have to trust in him. It, it doesn't mean you'll never have a doubt. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it shows us our heroes of the faith and it shows us their successes and their failures. David read about Elijah this morning. And Elijah has this huge moment where he, he calls down fire. And it burns up the altar and soaks up the water. And they kill all the prophets of Baal. And then old Jezebel said, I'm going to kill him. And he runs and hides. He goes from this moment of great strength to this moment of doubt. We see it all the way through the Bible. The beauty of the Bible is it shows us those heroes, but it shows us those successes. We, we may and we will have doubt from time to time, but when we seek God for wisdom in the midst of the trials, we come in faith, believing that God will answer. It comes from what we said about the character of God. When we see God in mercy and see God in grace, we come believing that he will do what he says he will do. We come trusting in him. Once again, Jesus is the source of James' teaching here. 
In Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, it says, and Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and you do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, you come to the Father in my name. You come asking for things that will bring him glory. You come asking for his glory. You come in my name, and he'll rip up mountains to make it happen. He will give you those things you need to bring him the glory that you should be bringing him. We seek him. Trust in the God of the Bible. The God who moved in Abraham's life is our God. The God who helped David and led him to worship like he worships him still draws our heart to him in the Psalms is our God. The God of Elijah, the God of Moses, the God of Deborah, the God of Esther, the God of Ruth, that is our God. It's not their God. It's not back then. It's our God. He's an unchangeable God. He's immutable. And that same God who gives wisdom gives you wisdom. The same God who kept coming to the prophets and kept coming to the kings and kept coming to the teachers and kept coming to the leaders and speaking to them speaks to you through his spirit and through his word. Speaks through his spirit by his word. Come to him. Ask him. Trust him. The one who doubts is compared to the wave driven back and forth to the wind. Now... I can't think of a better place to be than sitting on the beach watching the waves back and forth with the wind. But, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about foundation here. There's no foundation. There's no stability with the waves. It's just back and forth. And James says that when we live a life of doubt, it's, it's like we're lifted up by faith for one moment and, and, and we're thrown down by doubt the next. That, that we live a life that, that lives by spiritual discipline one day and, and eases back into rest the next day. We're just up and down, up and down, committed one moment and not the next moment. It's like Peter. Yes, he gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. But then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he sees the waves and he sinks. Now give credit to Peter. He got out of the boat. Nobody else did. But what did Jesus say to him? You have a little faith. Why didn't you believe? He took his eyes off Jesus. We, we so often take our eyes off Jesus. There are things in, in my life, in my family's life, that, that if I didn't have Jesus to hold to, I wouldn't make it. You keep claiming and keep asking, keep seeking that God will draw people to himself. You trust him. James says the one who's this, who doubts is double-minded and unstable. Double-minded is, is literally two-souled. Two minds. Bunyan put it best in Pilgrim's Progress. Mr. Facing both ways. 
You know anybody like that? Mr. Facing both ways. You can't face both ways. You, you have to choose, as Joshua said, this day who you'll serve. And if we're going to trust God, we trust in him and we believe in him. And, and we believe in his word that he'll do what he says. It, it's, a, it's, it's a person that James is describing. Stephen Cole said it's a person who's torn between allegiance to God and allurement of the world. That's our culture. Allegiance to God or allurement of the world. Allegiance to God or, or the allurement of the world. Two faces. Facing both ways. What does that life end up to? The other life lends to, to a life that's perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This life leads to a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Up one moment, down the next. It's really what we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's the same person James is describing. Paul describes the same person. The enemy doesn't want you to trust God. He wants you to be too busy to pray, too busy to seek his word, too busy to ask him for direction. He wants you to trust. What do we say? Well, just listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Listen to your heart. Well, just follow your, your, your conscience. Really? My conscience got me in a lot of trouble. Follow the voice of the Spirit. Learn to hear what God says through his word. Trust in him. He wants you to, the enemy wants you to live by your own reason. But James is saying we've got to live by God's wisdom. Our reason won't get us to what he's talking about in verse 4. It won't get us to perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But when we come to God, let me just sum this up. We come to God, don't, don't try to rationalize it. Don't come to God thinking, well, I'm not really worthy, God. You're probably not going to answer anyway. Wouldn't that just bless you if you were God? I'm not really worthy. I'm just wasting your time. You're not going to answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, come before him. Come to God with faith. How do we get this kind of faith? How do we get it? I changed the, the ending because I really, I thought we were doing the Lord's Supper today, and the elements didn't come in the mail in time. They, they didn't have to face those problems in the first century. Um, well, we couldn't do the Lord's Supper. The elements didn't come in the mail. Um, but that's, that's where we were. So I changed it, and I, I was thinking about it today, and even this morning. How do we get the kind of faith that James is talking about? Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The kind of faith that James is talking about, the kind of wisdom that we're told to ask for is biblical wisdom and biblical faith that comes from knowing and trusting the God of the Bible. When you think about, it's, it's Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of fame of faith 
it's, what he's talking about here is, is what James does at the end of his letter. It's interesting. I, I didn't realize that today we read about Elijah. Because James closes his letter talking about Elijah. And what's interesting is he talks about the prayer of faith. And he says something. He says, the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he turns to Elijah as an example. Elijah was a prophet. And James tells us in chapter 5 that Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then Elijah prayed that it would rain, and it rained. And what does James say about Elijah? Let me just, let me get you to turn over to chapter 5. Look at this real quick. Look at verse 17. Verse 16 first. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a years and six months it did not rain. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, any of you among you wanders from the truth. and Someone brings them back. Let them know that that whatever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Look at what he said. Elijah, another translation says, was a man just like us. It's, it's easy to read these stories and think, Elijah was like Superman. He just came from another planet. He just looked like one of us, but we didn't really look like one of us. He, he, he was a wild man. And he, he, he just had powers that we don't have. And it's easy to think that about David and think about the others. And, and I would suggest to you that it's simply not true. Elijah was a man just like us. But he had a relationship with God and he was used by God for a certain time and a certain purpose. And while you may never do the things Elijah did, understand. Just understand that Elijah was no different than you are. Matter of fact, I would go so far as to say we have it better than Elijah. Elijah was empowered by the Spirit of God. We're indwelled by the Spirit of God. Elijah knew in part we, we have the whole testament of the Scriptures now. So what do we do to get this kind of faith like Elijah? First, let me just give you three things. Just write these down. Read your Bible and get a great view of God. Read your Bible and get a great view of God. Start in the beginning was the God created the heavens and the earth. Start there. You nail that down, you got everything else. He created everything. Walk through the scriptures and get a view of, of the God that we've been describing in James. He's the one who's willing to give generously. Know that and come to him in faith. Read your Bible and get a great view of God. Number two, read your Bible and get a great view of the saints of God. Read about people like Elijah and Elisha. Read about Esther's and Deborah's. Teach your children about them. 
You got little boys, teach them about the mighty men of God. The things they did. Marvel has nothing on what they did. Teach them about men of great faith and women of great faith. Read your Bible. Get a great view of God. Read your Bible. Get a great view of the saints of God. And then finally, let me just suggest to you, read biographies of Christian people. I brought a few today. Hudson Taylor. We have a generation of people who don't know who Corey Tim Boone is anymore. Much less Hudson Taylor. Do you know about this man? Do you know the life that he lived in China? You want to know this man. Influenced by Mueller's prayer life. Went to China and began a mission work in China. It was incredible. I told you I was in, outside of Beijing. I was at the end of a trip. I was so tired. And I was so tired of seeing church buildings. All I wanted to do is go back to the hotel and take a nap and get on a plane and come home. And they said, we got one more church to see. And I'm like, I don't want to see another church. And then she said, Hudson Taylor built this church. <laughs> I said, oh, I want to see that one. <laughs> got a picture of it, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, if you've never read Elizabeth Elliot's Shadow of the Almighty, or the other book, um, just lost it, I'll think of it in a minute, um, by, by her husband, Jim Elliot. Read about Jim Elliot and see what he did. Timothy George, one of our own, wrote William Carey's life. Get to know him. Get to know guys like Wilberforce. Wilberforce, who, who's almost, you could say, single-handedly under the power of God, helped rid the world of slavery because of his faith as a politician. Read the book I mentioned last couple weeks ago on Mueller's life. Read the Bible, get a great view of God. Read the Bible, get a great view of how God worked in people's lives, the saints of God. And then finally, read biographies and see how God moved. It's important that we study Annie and Lottie. It's important that we understand men like Tozer, who weren't perfect, but they served a perfect God. Read and get to know and grow in your faith and know that if God will move in their life, he'll move in our life too. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. We will sing in just a moment, but first, as the ladies play. James commands us to ask for wisdom. As you hear that command, would you obey it this morning? Would you just ask God? I know there are areas in your life that you don't understand what's going on right now. All of us have them. Ask Him to let you see that situation through His eyes. To let you see what He's doing and help you to have the wisdom to trust Him in the trial.
Father, we come before you this morning. I thank you that you are everything we've said today. You are gracious and merciful. You are kind. You are the essence of what we study in the fruit of the Spirit. That's not all you are. We know that you are a God who judges. You are a God of wrath. We know those things, but that's not for your children, even though discipline is. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a father. And I pray this morning that that our faith, our trust would be built a little this morning or a lot that we would trust you and come to you in the midst of the situations of life and not despair and, and not get bitter but to see what you're doing to make us perfect and complete lacking in nothing be with your church now I pray and as we sing If there's something you're calling us to do today, I pray that you would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this, you know, the song, Have Thine Own Way. As God's leading you to do something public, come, we'll be here to help you. Remember, those trials sometimes are the potter process. He's getting stuff out of us that doesn't need to be there. He's putting stuff in us that needs to be there. Real quick, I'm going to ask them to turn off the um, live stream just for a second. Several.